sports news podcast on Unbenched. Breaking the glass ceiling through sports. Oh my god, hi friends. Hi, hello, how are you? How's it going? Hello. It's <laughs> yeah. like the calmest intro we have ever done, which is probably because we've been sitting on Zoom actually just like hanging out for half an hour. So sorry we didn't invite you. Uh, maybe we'll do a Ballbusters Live IRL one day and everyone can watch our pre-show um, catch-ups. But welcome to our season finale. 20 episodes. Crazy. Yeah. 20 episodes, sports are dying, so we are taking a break. 22 weeks of ball busters, guys. It's, it's, been, it's been a ride. Um, so to start off this season finale spectacular, um, I honestly, I think this podcast has gone more like episodes and lasted longer and been more consistent than any of us were probably expecting. Um, so in order to celebrate that, we want to tell you a story. We want to tell you our, our villain origin story, if you will. Um, so it literally is a villain origin story. No, it fully is a villain origin story. Um, okay, so this podcast, the idea came about, I want to say, in like February, something like that, that we, the four of us were all with um, the intermission at the time doing various types of content for them. And we wanted to have a girls only podcast because we know we're hilarious and we know that we know our shit. So we're like, well, put us on the airwaves. They said, yeah, cool, great. What's it gonna be called? And this is where it gets fun. So we had our group chat and we were like, what do we call it? And we kind of sat on that for a couple days, at least. Like it definitely was not a quick process. And I don't know why I came up with the idea of Ballbusters as a name. I genuinely could not tell you my thought process, where it's like, I can walk you through my process for coming up with Unbenched and all that. But Ballbusters just like came to me. So I sent it to our chat. And like, I think y'all loved it after I explained like the link and basically. You didn't even need to explain it. Like, you got it immediately. Kind of common sense. See? See how they caught on quickly? But I can't. For those of you who have been listening to us for 20 episodes and are like, why the hell are you called Ballbusters? First of all, where have you been? Second of all, um, let me break it down. So Ballbusters is like, you know, most sports are played with a ball and we're like busting news. We're busting through the glass ceiling, all that stuff. But it's also the stereotypical way of understanding it is like a woman busts a man's balls if like she knows something he doesn't, that kind of mentality. And us being four women, doing sports journalism, we're kind of doing that every goddamn day. We wake up every day and that's what we strive to do. Maybe in a less kind of like volatile sense, but it's like the heart of at least what drives me most days. The other days are spite, but that's a different conversation. Um, So there's our name. And then we go to the intermission and we pitch it and the immediate reaction was lukewarm, I will say. Um, but once I, I explained it to Alex Baumgartner, Papa Intermission, the Florida man, whatever you want to call him, he was on board. He's like, that's cool. Great. Awesome. I reach out to a graphic designer and mention we might need some podcast art. 
And while this conversation starts happening, I find out that there is a separate group chat. I want to say it was like your basketball group chat where the name came up. And does someone want to enlighten us on how this conversation started? Because I was filled, I was randomly at work and I get, I get to my phone and I have about 30 text messages, couple Snapchats, a bunch of Facebook messenger notifications and do a take the next phase. So there was a conversation that was started around the name of the podcast. And I don't remember exactly how it came up, but let's say some people didn't take to it very well. And I tried to make it very clear that the name shouldn't bother you unless you're like, you know, misogynistic or sexist. It shouldn't make you uncomfortable. Karina tried to make it clear too. Did, did it work out? And a decision was made by the men of that group chat. And me and Karina kind of just had to go with it to take it to a poll to the entire team to decide our podcast name. Wait, uh, I never knew this story. You don't know the origin story? I had no idea that. I don't know our villain. Why do you think we're so spiteful week in and week out? No, I'm just kidding. That's actually kind of crazy. Yeah. So <laughs> when I get to my phone, I get the update. I take it the entire time. Like I'm sending Casey screenshots of everything happening in the chat because she wasn't in it. And like, I'm like running her through it. Casey's at work on the floor at Lululemon. Like trying to stay updated. Krita's messaging her. And then I'm messaging Krita on the side saying like, I'm getting pissed off. Like I'm getting really mad. Um, That's the other thing is this all went down in a chat that I wasn't in, even though this was my idea. Yeah. So that was like another thing that like didn't sit well with me personally. So I get to my phone and suddenly my podcast name that the four hosts of the podcast love, the person who runs the network was on board with, is now going to a poll to a group of people I have never met, who have never met me. I've never- We're mostly men. I think other than the four of us, the people in the poll, there may have been three other girls, four other girls. So I knew right away, I was like, well, if this goes to a poll, uh, this isn't happening. So that was that. And we took the conversation off that group chat, mainly so I could be included. Um, and then became the debate of, do we just put this on unbenched? And the reason it wasn't an initially unbenched focused idea was because Dua and Christina had never done anything with me on unbenched. Oh my God, is this my unbenched origin story too? Yeah, it's we, both of yours. Didn't we hire me out of spite? Like, Oh, I hired you out of spite after. Yeah. But they had both been like exclusively with the intermission in terms of sports content. And I didn't want to make it come across like I'm stealing their talent. Um, even though kind of what it was. Um, so that's why this wasn't like an original unbenched idea for anyone wondering, not that any of you were wondering. But also, the point was to have a podcast of all girls, you know, we are on the intermission network. Yeah, on the Intermission Network, because they don't have anything like that. We already have that here. We are all girls. Yeah. So that was 
those are kind of like the two main reasons at play why we didn't originally have this for Unbenched. And after seeing the reaction and the line that sticks out to a lot of us, um, if you're ever around us and something comes up, you'll probably hear one of us drop this, was we were told, not like communicate, not like mentioned in passing, we were told that from a marketing perspective, ball busters was a bad idea. Now, um, I had taken one marketing class up until that point. It was a business and ideas and it's a sport media mandatory class. To my knowledge, the person letting me know that from a marketing perspective, my idea was a bad idea has yet to take a marketing class. So from the get, I was like, okay, don't really care about what you have to say. But if you think about this, from a marketing perspective, it was genius because when we announced the show name, we all had multiple people reach out and be like, then someone reached out to me and said, what about like the name? They were, everyone is hooked on the name and trying to figure it out and trying to justify it or just make it make sense. Meaning people were interested before we put out an episode, which for anyone that hasn't taken a marketing class is kind of the point of marketing. You want people to buy in. People were bought in. They, they weren't bought in because they knew they liked us already. Some people were probably bought in because they're like, this will be stupid. But we had people's attention before we even put out an episode. Obviously, once we made, we before going public with the name, we did make the decision to bring this over to Unbench just because none of us really felt comfortable with it being on a network that had that much of a visceral reaction to what we wanted to do. I think also, like, I remember... Like we had multiple Zoom calls about this and like we like discussing it. Like a lot went into this podcast more than it would any other podcast um, that I've done at least. And I remember when Casey texted me that like she's like, I made the decision to like have it at, on Unbenched. It's smarter. I it was like a breath of fresh air. Like I it was a sigh of relief. Like I was like, okay, good. So like our entity our creative license is not going to be controlled by a group of men who clearly don't see the point so yeah that's that's the ball busters origin story um i don't know if Karina or christina you guys have any thoughts to offer like what you were thinking through the process of the switch from one network to the other i always thought that like putting it on unbenched was a good idea it's been very very interesting to see like the the change in reaction to our podcast from the beginning to now, just like 20 episodes later, um, like the support has been great and very, very interesting compared to how we started. I was just going to say, like, based on Krita's point, like, also how much we've changed as like journalists, like, I know we said it like in the first episode, we said we're going to look at it 10 episodes from now and be like, realize how much everything has changed, how much better we've gotten and like what's changed. We're 20 episodes out. Like we, we've come together and we have a process. You have a system. We're a well-oiled machine and we work. Uh, no, I was just going to say at the beginning of Ballbusters or even like before then, I was so used to just like straight reporting numbers and game results and like stats and you know stuff that happened um and like I wasn't comfortable 
or like I had just had never had the chance to talk about like my thoughts on anything before like sports related um my reporting was like just exclusively objective uh and event-based and I think like you guys have allowed me to grow in terms of being able to talk about like my feelings and like my thoughts on um, social justice in sports and like bigger topics in sports than just like the games themselves. So yeah, that's really cool. I'm not obviously like an expert at it still. I have a lot of growing to do in that realm of uh, reporting, but yeah, um, I guess I'm just thankful for that. And like, you guys are such experts in being able to talk about these things and handle sensitive topics and things that matter in sports that are like bigger than the sports themselves. And so like, I think just learning throughout all these weeks, even though like I do make mistakes all the time still, um, like your patience and uh, just like you being able to learn from you guys has been like really great. So thank you. Okay, I'm gonna cry now. This is gonna be like the time that you made me and me and who cry? Who cried? I made you and Christina cry. Yeah, that I remember like, fondly. You made us cry. Yeah, no, but I remember editing the first episode and like being where we're at now. Editing our first episode, I forget how long the final product was, but it took me six hours to edit. There was something like two thousand cuts. Yeah, there was some. There were like thousands of cuts that I had to make. Thousand, I remember. But seeing like our growth now and like especially like we're getting emails so like seeing like Christina's growth like I remember the first episode I felt like you were so scared and now it's like so nice that like you have like no filter like yeah I've always had so it's been so fun thing with Christina that's like so great is when you used to do like not like stats but your own takes yeah say something so smart and like very accurate and then you would go but I don't know. And I was like, stop doing that because you have to be confident in what you're saying. And the thing is, most of the times what you're saying is like, right. Yeah. You guys have like really shown me how to be like confident and like um, just like know what you're saying and stick to it without wavering or being like, um, yeah, like getting nervous about anybody else. Like I don't know. We're going to have to edit yeah. that out again. But like, you know what I mean? My favorite edit to make, my favorite edit to make has always been editing out Christina's, but I don't know. I like, no, you do know. So we're getting rid of that. My but favorite part is like when I'm editing and then I get to Dua's part where she's like, hi, Krina, I know you're editing this. I love you. <laughs> Just to kind of help. Our built-in apologies to each other when we know that we mess up is, is quite funny. You'll be halfway through editing, and then you'll be like, or I don't, I do this with Christina edits, but I'll be like, okay, I'm so sorry, Christina. Like, I know you're gonna hate me. I'm gonna start again. Yeah, I love like hearing that. <laughs> like, okay, <laughs> at least she's self aware when I'm like in pain editing. All right, well, we hope you've enjoyed that fun little walk down memory lane. We do have like actual sports to talk about for this season finale. Oh my god, that's what this podcast is about. Totally <laughs> forgot about that. By the way, like we are calling this the season finale because for the next couple of weeks, there's pretty much nothing going on. So we are going to take a break. I'm going to switch provinces and we will come back at you probably around NFL kickoff time. Because from our couch. From, and me and Duo will be in the same room.
Um, there will be no hockey today because the NHL has already died. Joe Thornton did just sign with the Florida Panthers. Speaking of the NHL dying, Joe Thornton. Yeah, but aside from that, like, go read an article about it or something. I'm not talking about it this week. Dead. Okay. My hockey content this week is I met Jonathan Drouet and Derek Broussard at Lululemon. They came and bought the pants and Derek Broussard bought Jonathan Drouet underwear. So but they're going on a golf trip. I feel like I should share that with all of you as we are. That is our hockey content. Great. NHL done. Off to Karina for the NBA. Oh my god, I love that. All right, so let's get into some free agency because that's pretty much what's been happening in the NBA right now. What I've done is I've taken some of my favorite signings from free agency just because there's been so much going on. If you want to head over to CBS Sports, they do have like an article that just has all the free agency news if you need to catch up on that. But I'm just going to take a, a little bit of time to talk about my favorite ones. I'll start with kind of like the bigger ones, the the longer extensions, and I want to start with John Collins, who re-signed with the Atlanta Hawks for five years and $125 million. A lot of these are really fat checks. Uh, These contracts are just going to keep getting more and more, which is insane to see. Um, But I really love this signing. I feel like John Collins on the Hawks like gets overlooked quite a bit because everyone likes to focus on Trey Young or on um, Clint Capella, you know, things like that. But John Collins has has been with this team for a while now, and he's contributed to their success quite a bit. He's a very underrated player. Um, He did really well in the playoffs this year. Obviously, we know the Hawks went on to go to the Eastern Conference Finals. I think this is a great signing for them. I think the Hawks... You know, they've surprised everyone. I think they've they've got a chance to be like one of those like teams in the East that, you know, they're no longer at the bottom of the barrel. Um, I just really love this this signing overall. <laughs> okay, let's take a photo. <laughs> I wasn't looking, I'm sorry. Okay. All of us are laughing. Perfect. Continue. Okay. Who's editing this week? Casey? Oh, that's gonna be fun. Have fun, Casey. Um, Okay. My next my next favorite signing was DeMar DeRozan, who signed with the Bulls for three years and $85 million. I think this is very interesting. The Chicago Bulls are a very interesting team to me this year. Um, Last season when they signed uh, Vucevic to a deal, everyone thought, oh, they're gonna make the playoffs. Like, they're it, like this is it. They didn't really do that. They didn't really get their foot in the door. But they signed DeMar DeRozan now. They also signed Lonzo Ball for four years, 85 million. I think that they're finally starting to kind of put together some moves and pieces that could get that foot in the door. While I don't think that the Bulls, you know, they they could get in the playoffs, I think they could do that, but I don't think they'll be, you know, one of the top teams in the East. I think they still have quite a bit of work to do. In general, like with all these signings, we're just going to have to wait and see how it plays out in the season because it, it all sounds great on paper, but who knows what could happen once they actually start playing. Um, do we have any thoughts on DeMar with the Bulls uh, since we're, you know, DeMar fans on this pod? I just want to see him succeed. Like, I very much, at this point, don't care what jersey he's wearing. I, I just want this man to have success. I think he deserves it so, so much, um, especially, like, doing everything he did for Toronto and then 
having to be like the sacrificial lamb for lack of a better term like they had to ship him off to get Kawhi to get the chip like he deserves a ring and he's been so like tantalizingly close so many like at different points that I, I just give him success like I I don't if he sells out and goes to a super team like I won't be mad because I just want him to get a ring yeah for sure I think like the conversation and the discourse around DeMar DeRozan can be really really bad sometimes and then I think we forget to appreciate how like how good of a player he is I actually really love his game um, I loved him on the Raptors, obviously. I think, you know, he was a lot better on the Spurs. Like, nobody really watches the Spurs, so that's that's part of the reason why the discourse around him can be really bad. But this is really exciting. The Bulls may be an exciting team to watch again in the East. Um, but, yeah, I think, I think he's happy to be back in the Eastern Conference, and I think we all want him to succeed. And another former Raptor, a Mr. Norman Powell, he got the bag. He re-signed with Portland for five years, $90 million. Um, I think this is great. I think, you know, obviously I have my issues with Portland as a team just because of who they've hired as a head coach. I think it'll be interesting to see because I think Damian Lillard, I'm not sure if he's agreed to a deal yet. He keeps tweeting. He's like, oh, I hope we play against this team. I hope we play against this team. And everyone's like, who's we? Like, what team are you on right now? I would like to know. But, you know, they have Norman Powell, so I think that's a solid investment. How do we feel about Norman Powell getting the bag? Because he's getting the money that we couldn't give him here. He deserves it. Like, plain and simple. And I know seeing NBA contracts sometimes is so jarring because it's like half of the NHL salary cap. They're like, here, take it. And it's like, excuse me and it's just gonna keep getting more and more i know and that's what's so scary is that you know that it's just gonna keep going up and up and up and up but yeah i mean there was no way toronto was gonna be able to give him that money and i know people like to go with the narrative of like oh take a hometown discount do this do that like whatever but i don't think toronto gave norm enough for him to be willing to take that big of a hometown discount and we talk about we don't talk about this but like it's mentioned quite a lot the financial situation in Canada is so different for these athletes um just if you think about it even if we gave him that money if we gave him matching contracts to what Portland did he would be leaving with so much less because of taxes exchange rate like because of everything so I I don't blame him at all I think Portland is smart for giving him that money um it's well deserved I wish Portland would give money to better humans just you know on the sidelines and office and all that but that's a different conversation but go norm get your bag yeah no that's actually a very interesting point that you make like obviously we saw like we didn't we couldn't even give a discount to mr kyle lowry um or i should say dr kyle lowry because he's a doctor now but he signed with the Heat for three years, which is was originally reported as 90 million, but I think it's 85 million now. Um, I know there's a tampering investigation going on with that, so that'll be very interesting to find out. But those are kind of all like, oh, I still got one more former Raptor, actually, one that I'm forgetting about, uh, Kawhi Leonard, who it was announced yesterday that he re-signed with the Clippers for four years and 176.3 million dollars, which is a big fat check. Um, I don't think this is a surprise to anyone. I, the only thought that I have really have around this signing is that 
I thought it was very funny that Kawhi waited this long to resign. Like, he kind of waited until all the free agency news died down. And then he was like, yeah, it's my turn. Like, I kind of want the attention on me. I thought that was pretty funny. It's a very um, Kawhi move. Yeah. Like, waiting, yeah. waiting, like, absolutely no rush, no nothing. Let people think, let people start rumors. And then out of nowhere, be like, y'all thought I was leaving? That's funny. That's exactly what happened. He waited until people started to be like, oh, maybe he's not re-signing with the Clippers. Like, I even saw a couple of people saying that he might come back to the Raptors, which was just really funny to me. Um, but yeah, Kawhi did the Kawhi thing. People that did saying, that and have the audacity to give anyone even an ounce of false hope, I want your Twitter account suspended. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, like, just like in another player that's kind of got it figured out, like Kawhi's got it figured out. I think Steph Curry's also got it figured out. He also signed like a fat, like five year extension for like $200 million. Um, you play at home, you play in a city where your family lives, um, you get enough money that you're kind of set for life and you get to play basketball. And Kawhi and um, I'm sure Kawhi wants another ring, but like Steph has a bunch of rings. Like to me, Steph Curry is like living the life right now. And like, that's what we forget. Like we forget that at the end of the day, basketball is a job. And that when these players are signing contracts, no, they don't always want to go to your team. Like sometimes they have to put their own lives, you know, over, over the basketball aspirations. And I think that we do forget that quite a lot. So uh, happy for Kawhi, happy for Steph. Um, happy for this last signing, Chris Paul, who re-signed with the Suns for four years, $120 million. Obviously, you know, the Suns did, were a major improvement this year. They made the NBA Finals after not making the playoffs for God knows how long. Um, if, I think this is a good sign. If Chris, if Chris Paul re-signed now for this amount of time, I feel like they have the pieces to kind of make it back to the Finals. And uh, I think Cameron Payne also re-signed with them and they're they're gonna be a top contender for a bit now and hopefully chris paul gets his ring maybe we'll hurt we'll hoping but yeah that kind of uh wraps up the free agency signings that kind of stood out to me that i kind of liked um if you guys had a favorite uh maybe talk about that it's not a favorite but um i want i want Karina's thoughts live on the pod to a certain new Raptors comments about having to be a Raptor. And I say having to, because he made it sound like a really, really <sighs> tragic obligation. And in my opinion, I'm like, you've seen that this fan base is probably one of the most passionate in the league. Why would you piss them off? And okay, even more yeah. than that, you pissed off an entire country because I know people that don't even care about basketball that are like, how fucking dare you? Like, who gave you the right? So, yeah, I want Krita's reaction. Yeah, so my opinion on a Mr. Goran Dragic. Okay, <laughs> let's go. Let's do this. Um, I him anyway. Yeah, here's the thing. Coming into this, he wasn't, this wasn't a win-win. This was a lose-lose situation because, A, if you know, like, Raptors fans and, like, our history with the Miami Heat, it's pretty bad. Like, they're not a team that we're a huge fan of. We're definitely not a fan of Goran Dragic. I am the last person to defend this guy. So, no matter what he said coming in, people were already going to be unfairly um, rude to him. On the other hand, yes, maybe don't say that, you know, 
Toronto isn't your preferred destination on TV. Like, I'm not even sure is if, like, are you even allowed to say that? Like, I, I mean, you're allowed to say anything, but whether it, or not yeah, it was it an intelligent true. decision, I don't know about that. Yeah, it just, it's obviously, it's definitely like an odd decision on his part. I think both sides of the coin here um, just didn't respond properly. I also think it's very amusing that he came out and apologized like right away after all the backlash and then continued to wear Miami Heat <laughs> clothing at the gym and posting about it. Uh, so it's definitely going to be an interesting season with him here. Like, who did this man think he was? Vince Carter in the 90s? Doesn't want to be a Toronto head ass? Like, no. We're not, like, that doesn't make sense. This is a team that won the championships two years ago. And I yeah. don't think this team winning any fucking championships. Yeah, I just, like, my only thing is, like, I can't, you can't expect, like, people were, like, really mad at this as they should be but at the same time i'm kind of here to remind people that you weren't exactly accepting to him in the first place and i'm not saying that i was like i was not i wasn't very happy with this i thought that we would move on from him um but if you're not going to be accepting to him then you can't be like overly upset that he doesn't want to be here either because he, of course he doesn't want to be in a city that doesn't like him. Like, I wouldn't want to be in a city that didn't like me. Um, but yeah, it's definitely an odd situation. And I'm, like, half expecting him to get booed when he does, like, come onto the court for the first time in a Scotiabank Arena. Hopefully the Raptors are playing here. Um, I don't think I could take another season somewhere else. I don't think but. anyone right now has the grounds to make them play anywhere else. Like, just this is, like, kind of a different subject, but I after seeing what we've seen with like the rest of the Canadian teams in other leagues, like I don't think there's really, like there's absolutely no way you can turn around and be like, yeah, no, you can't play here when you've got like 15,000 people in McMahon Stadium out in Calgary for Stampeders games. You had the Calgary Stampede, no issue. You've got, I think they're pushing full capacity for TFC um, at BMO Field. Same thing with the Argonauts, even though the Argonauts and full capacity like they don't know each other um even with the jays like they have fifty thousand fans yeah so and that's like right in the downtown area so like i if someone turns around and like starts saying like the raptors can't play here like mm, i don't know about that like that would just be really unfair well, they don't right. let like but that the thing is, is the case is the same for the raptors and the leafs like they, if they allow one they have to allow both because they play in the same arena right and if they're going to turn around and say no to just those two teams or one of those two teams that's sense because you have TFC back and the Argos back you have the Jays back which is the biggest one because like the, the arenas are like five minutes from each other you know so like just taking into account like you have like everything happening around the rest of Canada like so I, I highly doubt that they're going to turn around and say no but like you never know yeah at the end of the day, I just I just need them back. Look, I, I also want them to announce it, you know, as soon as they can. Like, I feel like I, I don't know what the earliest they can is because I feel like time's kind of dwindling down now. Um, is dwindling a word? I don't know. Dwindling? It's not dwindling, it's dwindling. Dwindling. <laughs> yeah, time's dwindling down. <laughs> the fuck is a dwindling, Greta? I don't know. My brain is fried. 
Um, Casey, yeah, the time I'm so is sorry. just whistling down here. Windowing. Yeah. Here in the time zones. Um. Oh God, I have to mute myself. <laughs> okay. You know what? I think that's a good place to kind of wrap up the basketball part of it, and uh, I'll send it over to Casey with some NWSL. Why, thank you. Um, so yeah, the NFL is still like pretty dead during preseason right now, and uh, nobody cares, quite frankly. So we're going to just take this time to talk about something a little bit more upsetting, frustrating, annoying, um, insert any adjective you would like here, but the coaching issue that the NWSL is currently investigating while also opening up a larger discussion to coaching in sport and pro sports in general and all of all of that. So if you don't know what I'm talking about, um, first of all, please start following women's soccer. Um, that's, that's just my blanket statement there. But on Wednesday, the Washington spirit of the NWSL announced the suspension of former head coach Richie Burke. The reason I say former is because on Tuesday, he had his, announced that he was resigning over health concerns. So that's the first issue I have is I don't trust that in the slightest. I don't trust that he resigned like really on his own right. And then the next day you suspend them. Um, right now, the story is that after he resigned, the team was contacted by the Washington Post with a number of abuse allegations against Burke. And that prompted the team to announce that they are suspending him. Um, or putting him on leave and launching an investigation. So while I do think there is plausibility to that, I don't know if it would be my go-to, like number one likely answer of, you know, this timeline. And I don't trust that he didn't know that this was potentially coming and wanted to kind of get out ahead of it and leave on his own terms, quote unquote. Um, so that's So that's that, you know. We'll, we'll, we'll leave that as is, but basically I just wanted to kind of break down the situation before opening up the larger discussion. Um, so these allegations against Richie Burke are not news in the sense that this isn't shocking anybody because over the last two seasons, four players have left the team due to Burke's treatment. And the reports include that he made racially insensitive jokes towards his black players. He was described by multiple players as unbelievably volatile he was accused of referring to players as dog shit and as a waste of space on top of all this um, other stuff. So that has prompted four players to leave the team. And a bunch of his former players have also come out and said that things like he made them hate soccer um, and stuff of that ilk, which is unfortunately a sentiment that I feel like we're starting to see more and more in sport, probably because athletes feel better coming out and saying it but the fact that we have coaches that are making athletes hate their sport is an epidemic and is something that needs to be addressed immediately but a former player Kaya McCullough who is one of the four to have left over the last two seasons she left last year um came out and she was one of the few who was willing to speak out of anonymity so a couple other players have given quotes to journalists but requested to remain anonymous so 
Kaya Macaulay came out and said that he created this environment where I knew I wasn't playing as well because I was so, so scared to mess up and be yelled at. It crippled my performance and it made me super anxious. So like I said, she was one of the players to have left uh, the team while Burke was in the head coaching role and following all of these allegations coming out, all of the publication of all of these stories and Burke's um, suspension, if that's what you want to call it. Uh, owner Steve Baldwin came out and released a statement saying that they would be taking undertaking an immediate investigation as has the NWSL. So there would be, there would be two investigations going on simultaneously, which I think we need. I, respect the league for not being satisfied by the team itself having an investigation only which i think we've seen in other leagues is like with the nhl in chicago for a while they were like well you're investigating it we don't need to um and that's just not enough especially for something like this that appears to be systemic so i think the first kind of really like big sticking point that this brings up to me that we'll get in depth with a little bit more later is men coaching women's teams and if you look at the nwsl i think right now i can count three active female coaches plus one interim female head coach uh we'll have casey stoney next year as she's joining um the next year the year after she's joining the san diego franchise that was announced uh, a couple weeks ago after she had left van united women She's coming stateside to coach the new team spearheaded by Jill Ellis, who was responsible for a lot of the U.S. Women's National Team success. So at least the movement seems to be that we want to be hiring more female coaches. Um, I know there's a lot of pressure right now on Angel City FC to hire a female head coach. They have yet to make an announcement on that front. Um, but just put a pin in that because we're going we're gonna to get to this a little bit later. So with all of this coming out about Richie Burke and his professional coaching tenure and behavior in that space, there have also been a number of youth players who have come forward and have said that Burke used homophobic language with them, dating back to his time with FC Virginia in 2019. And that, I mean, tell me, we haven't heard this narrative before. Someone is abusive in one space gets sent off with a letter of recommendation and then continues to be abusive in another space. This is really like almost the opposite of the Chicago case where someone started with a pro team was abusive there, or at least the allegations started with the pro team. I highly doubt that all of that was his first time and then goes to a youth space and continues the same behavior. This time someone was in a youth space was given the privilege to coach pro soccer and continue to abuse their platform. So that's the situation. I want to get kind of your guys's immediate immediate reaction and and what this kind of brings up and parallel it to Jason Kidd in basketball, Chicago Blackhawks in hockey, Mike Babcock in hockey, got literally just hockey. Um, but yeah, thoughts, feelings, opinions. The sad part is is that I could parallel it to so many coaches in basketball like not just Jason Kidd which is super super frustrating and the fact that we can parallel it in the first place the fact that that is even something that we can do is completely unacceptable um, and like this pattern of just abusive coaches getting hired over and over again is 
it's it's really like discouraging like i at, at this point i'm like i don't even know how this happens like it, it's ridiculous and it makes me so angry and the fact that like the point that you made about like he's making the players hate their own sport to me is like such like the worst thing ever because you play the sport because you love it like not only because you're good at it but because you really love it and just like things like that like that's so detrimental to your mental health and i I just i hate hearing about that and not only like they love it and it's their like life passion it's also their livelihood like it's their job so i just don't know how like that's like illegal like actually and i just don't know what else to say like yeah it's just appalling to me that you can take some like you can take a whole person's whole life and um ruin it because of like something like their skin color i don't know yeah it's just yeah it's a lot it's just so utterly fucked up like there's so many problems with this and the fact that they can just take a person's entire life you know it's not just their job this is what they've been working towards their entire life they've made it and you take that away from them and that this parallels in literally every single major league like we've seen this in basketball we've seen this in hockey with fucking mike mike babcock amongst other people and like we see it everywhere and just what people get out of hurting athletes and hurting other people I'll never understand like it's not a way to teach it is not a way to coach it's just it makes you a bad fucking human being I hope that he burns in hell yeah so this is you know what we're dealing with here and Unfortunately, and this is kind of why I wanted to bring up the point of male coaches, because this isn't the first time that this has happened with this team, not with this league, with this team. So uh, last season, um, the Washington Spirit had an assistant coach named Tom Torres, who was also at one point did serve as their interim head coach. And he is no longer with the team. And there's two different narratives here. One is he left because of inappropriate conduct with the team. um, And that was the reason. But when the team released a statement announcing that he was gone, they choose to say that he was leaving the club to pursue other interests, quote, unquote. So, you know, is this a pattern where we're letting men get away with this abusive behavior and we're letting men get away with their careers intact because why why like this is a league that for so many stands for the future of sport by being so inclusive you have two openly trans athletes this is a league that is advocating so heavily for the advancement of equity in sport for women and for non-binary people and for trans people. And to then have this happen twice in the span of two years with the same club, the same club who just recently this year was bragging about bringing in a whole new group of owners, a whole new group of investors that include people who, according to them, reflect dc's political cultural 
and identity roots. So their new ownership group that they are investors that they brought in include people like Chelsea Clinton, you know, Jenna Bush Hager. And recently, Alex Ovechkin added himself to the investor group, which is just like a fun little aside. Like, yeah, you're investing in women's sports. Thank you. Um, but how are we letting this happen? How are we letting men get away with this abusive behavior in a league that is so outwardly supporting women? And I feel like something needs to give, well, something definitely needs to give in Washington. There needs to be a revamp at the top in the front office from an ownership, from a general manager, from that kind of perspective, because clearly whatever we've got there is what's allowing what happens on the field to continue happening. And anyone who doesn't believe me, like, I'm, I'm sorry, that's just how things work. Like the front office dictates the culture and that bleeds down. How? Because the front office hires the people that they believe identify with their culture. Not that, not that complicated. So that's got to go. But I also want to challenge the NWSL to look at how this was allowed to happen and how you allowed what so many have seen as such a safe space and such a advanced and kind of ahead of the curve league to get here. Um, the other thing is their owner is um, Steve, Stephen Baldwin. I will read you guys like in closing for, for final reactions on all of this, their statement. So this, this was the, the whole statement. This is, this is it. Um, on the heels of our announcement yesterday that Coach Burke was resigning, a Washington Post reporter contacted the Spirit with allegations of mistreatment, verbal and emotional abuse leveled at players by Coach Burke. We take these allegations very seriously and are undertaking an, an immediate investigation. Burke has been suspended pending the investigation and is prohibited from contacting players and staff and our facilities. We as a team will not tolerate any situation for our players and staff that is less than professional. Our athletes and all of those who support them deserve the absolute best. To that, I say, well, you let this happen last year. So why is it happening again? And Megan, I always love it when they say we take these allegations very seriously. I love it because it's like, do you or have you just been pushed to the point of public backlash to where you have to take them seriously? Like these these statements always to me are just like it feels like you're just doing this now because you've gotten such a like a, a bad reaction from the public yeah and it also brings up the the importance of language in these statements um whether you're saying you've suspended someone or you've put someone on leave whether someone is leaving to quote unquote pursue other interests or is leaving because they were abusive to your players it can't be both it just can't be and if you take these allegations seriously why are you using such light and non-hard-hitting language. And that needs to change and that's got to give. And I can't help but feel like if we had women in positions of power, women protecting women, this wouldn't be happening because we all know a woman who has been there, even if like we aren't the woman who's been there. Bingo, (laughs) hit it right on the nose. I mean, like that's the drop the mic moment right there. Like if you guys didn't pay attention to what Casey just said, rewind and listen to it again um so yeah that's that's our little nwsl take um i think 
we are due for a cultural reckoning in sport. And this is, this needs to be what starts it because clearly nothing else has been powerful enough until then. We're gonna do a little Olympic debrief. Um, I asked everyone for show and tell today to bring me their favorite Canadian moment and their favorite non-Canadian moment. Now we're gonna go in a circle like grade two show and tell and tell me your things. Let's start with the non-Canadian moments. Let's, let's build to Canadians. So what was your favorite moment by a non-Canadian athlete or team at Tokyo 2021? So personally, my favorite was when they shared the gold medal. In I was gonna jumping. do that. I was gonna do that. Well, <laughs> fine, you can have it. Let me. Okay, I, I have like two backups. No, I had a backup like prepared, so I'll do my backup. Okay, then Karina, do I can give you a backup. Okay, and have a backup. Okay, fine, I'll do a backup. <laughs> if you choose my reaction. backup, I'm gonna scream. Okay, I'm kind of scared. <laughs> <laughs> so. My first backup was that 14-year-old diver. Okay, that's Chinese fine, you can diver. have that, you can have that. Okay, <laughs> I felt like I chose her also because I just feel like the amount of young talent at the Olympics this year, like God, like way to make me feel inadequate at like an 18, 19 years old. Um, it was just insane, like with skateboarding too, like everything in general. But that diver, I think that was like one of the cleanest dives I've ever seen ever like it felt like there was no water like she was just like doing her thing and she, it was absolutely incredible like can you imagine like what's going through your mind at 14 years old to just have like the maturity and to be able to compose yourself like that on like the biggest sports stage in the world um that was incredible so yes that was one of my backup favorite moments since you both had the sharing gold medal in pole jumping <laughs> Well, Thank you for being so flexible. Now do a go. Well, personally, my favorite non-Canadian moment is when they shared the medal. And, <laughs> wow, uh, really? <laughs> the high jump. Yeah. When uh, Italy, and I believe it was Qatar, they, they had the option to do a jump off. But then the guy goes, can I, like, can we share it? And they were like, well, yeah. And so they did. And it was so sweet. I love that. I think what made that one even more special was like knowing the injury trouble that John Marco Tamberi had gone through up to it, like having broken his leg before Rio to the point where doctors were like, well, you're definitely not competing in Rio, but you could never compete again. And he brought the cast with him and like he put the cast out on the track after they won their medal and it said road to Rio and Rio was scratched out. And then it said road to Tokyo. Um, and I think the Qatari who like shared the medal with him, like you all compete on like the, the same kind of like world tour, whatever it's called in track league thing. So like, obviously he knows of his injury struggles. And I think that made that moment even more special and even more kind of impactful in terms of knowing the, what the Olympics really are all about. And then seeing the high jumper get to celebrate with um, the sprinter who won his gold medal, like 10 minutes later was just so cute and so happy okay my favorite was probably just because i really like gymnastics as well um watching suni lee winning the women's artistic individual all-around event it was the first time that like a an, ama an asian american woman had um become the all-around gymnastics champion 
And on top of that, just like her nails, um, they were like white and they had the Olympics on them and they were done by uh, her local nail salon, Little Luxuries Nail Lounge in Minnesota. And they like reached out to her through a DM because they were like, they thought it was such a long shot too. They were like, okay, like we might as well. And then she said, yes. And like, she, go, she went and got them done like a week before the event. And I just think that, um, and they said this in an interview too, like um, a bunch of media outlets interviewed the nail salon and they were talking about how after a year of, a lot of like hard anti-Asian hate and violence. Um, it was just so like nice to see this. And it was like a little bit of light around the corner. And I when I felt that like a hundred percent seeing um, an Asian American woman up there meant so much to me. And she's just such a, she's so, she's like a ray of sunshine up there and she's so good at what she does. And um, seeing the nails too was like just the cherry on top. So that was probably my favorite moment, non-Canadian wise. All right. So my favorite moment, I actually like went back and forth so hardcore with this and the shared gold medal. So like, I'm kind of happy someone else did that because it means I get to talk about this. Um, so it was right at the beginning of the Olympics. So I don't know if anyone else is going to remember this, but this was the moment that to me was really like, this is what the Olympics is all about because it had my entire basement cheering and yelling and so happy for the Tunisian teen who won the Olympic swimming gold medal and shocked everybody. So it was Ahmed Hafnoui, and he's 18 years old from Tunisia. He was swimming in lane eight in the 400 meter freestyle at the Tokyo Games um, on the Sunday. So like the first Sunday. And he finished in three minutes and 43.26 seconds, which obviously was faster than anyone else. And his celebration, just everything about it, obviously him winning, like we were cheering so loud when he was coming down, like the last 50 meters, his celebration, he was ecstatic and he screamed and you could hear it and you could see just like the joy on his face and the cameras getting into his face, like right away, he beat an Australian and an American. And it's like unheard of for eight in lane eight to win gold is like, you count those people out right away. Um, and his my favorite quote from him is when I hit the water I was just thinking about the medal not the time and just getting to watch that and like the sheer joy and how the whole world cheered for him I guess other than Australia and the states um but like my Twitter timeline was full of love for him and I just I I truly hope that he is thriving um and gets to continue to take this on the world by storm afterwards but yeah and then also his coach was obviously so pumped um getting to see like his coach's reaction to his athlete being on the podium, not quite as pumped as the Australian swimming coach who like air humped the railing at the pool. If you don't know what I'm talking about. Please go find the gift. People have made it a gift. It's, I'm sure you can watch it on loop on, on YouTube, but anyways, that was my favorite non-Canadian moment. Um, I'm going to go for my favorite Canadian moment. So a, no one steals it and B because I guarantee you, I loved this more than any of you, even if you did pick it. And we can all, we all know what I'm about to say. The Canadian women's soccer team winning a gold medal. I cried in the back of the Uber. I'm not, I was, so I missed my train when it went to overtime. I had to go to work. It goes to overtime, meaning I'm like, well, I'll miss my train. That's fine. I'll Uber. Goes to penalty shots. I had to watch the entire shootout alone in the back of an Uber. 
Do you know how stressful that is? I scream when I watch things. I couldn't scream with this stranger in the car. So I'm sitting there with my earbuds. I have it like tilted on my coffee cup, just watching it. And I have a video of me, my reaction when they won. I cried in the back of the Uber. I was shaking. And I don't think people outside of the soccer sphere will truly understand what this means for Canadian soccer. But if you thought us beating the States in that semi was big for like the 2012 or 20, yeah, 2012 revenge, what this has the potential to do for Canadian soccer and women's sport in general in this country is insane. It is so, it is such a perfect springboard for this next wave of advancing equity within sport. And it's giving these women a platform to be taken seriously and to be listened to. And they are on top of the podium. They are at the mic and it is their turn. And it is our turn to listen and just take in whatever they have to say. And I love how right away all of them use the moment to advocate for that and for the advancement and for bringing in either a pro league or bringing in an NWSL team how that was their reflex just shows how needed it is. We are the only country inside the FIFA women's top 10 that does not have its own domestic league, let alone not having its own team. We're the only one in the top 10 and we are now Olympic champions or they are Olympic champions. I did nothing but scream. Um, and we can't talk about this without talking about, I'm going to highlight three players, although I could highlight all of them individually. Julia Grosso has ice in her veins. Though that's no longer up for debate. At 20 years old, in your first Olympics, to step up and take the penalty shot, that can win you the gold medal. Because at that point, she knew, I score, I win. Because Sweden had missed before, and it's sudden death. So to walk up confident strides from halfway to the penalty spot, anyone who's ever taken a penalty shot can confirm the walk from the center line to the spot is the longest walk of your life. It is the longest 30 yards you will ever venture onto. She did that, did not flinch. The ball, yeah, the goalie got a hand to the ball, but she did what she had to do. The ball went in and just her reactions, whoever the photographers are, please go like copyright your work because you're about to make millions off of those pictures like please for the love of god and i found so many pictures where i couldn't give photo credit because i could, couldn't figure out who took them so julia grosso ice in your vans spectacular um future of canadian soccer is in outstanding hands steph labe just smiling thriving having the time of her life on the goal line canada's minister of defense what what more can we say she was an absolute brick wall all tournament. Canada needed two penalty shootouts to get this gold medal against Brazil and in the final against Sweden. And she has this uncanny ability to stop penalty shots that I don't think I've ever seen a goalie, male or female, have. And she does them legally because a lot of the times especially in the men's game you'll see penalty shots have to be retaken because the rule is that when the ball is kicked you have to have a foot on the line and a lot of the male goalies will cheat also because a lot of the male shots just end up being like absolute rockets whereas women will work more on like placement rather than power um so you see the goalies in the men's game having to cheat to make the save which they end up not on the line and then it gets called back and blah 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 Labe makes these stops, A, look easy, 
B does them legally and smiles while doing it. I can, a lot of people are like, oh yeah, like the dancing around that must get in your head. No, no, no. The dancing, if you're as a former designated penalty shot taker, I can confirm the dancing around. You just get used to that. Like that, that, that is what it is. It's the smiling that would have gotten in my head. And you saw it get into Sweden. It's like they, their captain, when she put it over the net, she looked horrified before taking that shot. Like her whole walk up, I don't think she breathed. I don't think she breathed until like the penalty shootout was over and they had officially lost. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if she's still not breathing because she looked petrified. And Steph LaBay was just like, hi, I'm thriving. Her little like joker smile, the little giggles. She would do her thing. She was standing on the six yard line up until the shooter had to take the shot. Like she was having the time of her life and was so cool, calm and collected doing it. Like, she I think she's in for a big payday also remember when she wasn't allowed to play on a men's team in Calgary because I do but yeah can I just say if I have even half the amount of confidence that Steph Lavey has in life for anything then I have made it because I was watching that game in the control room at work and we were all like huddled around screaming crying about to throw up like that was the most stressful thing i've ever seen ever um and just to see her smiling and enjoying herself like that like god damn like how inspirational is that like oh my god and finally i'm gonna highlight the matriarch of canadian soccer one of the greatest players to ever walk this planet male or female christine sinclair if you can watch her get her gold medal and not get emotional, I question your citizenship because nobody in a Canadian uniform has ever deserved a gold medal so badly as her. What she has done, she has taken Canadian soccer and single-handedly brought it to an elite level. And you look at players like Grosso, like Fleming, like Vian, the new blood coming in, they're coming in because they watch what Sinclair and the 2012 team did. And they said, I'm going to be there one day. And here they are. As she's on her way out, the next generation is on their way in. And they've shown that they're going to fight tooth and nail to win. They are such a typical Canadian team. They're not going to stun you with skill, but they will outwork you. And that is a testament to Christine Sinclair's legacy and her leaving the Canadian game better than she found it. From an individual level, this is a player that embodies Canadian sport. She's not in it for her. She's not in it for the media. She's not in it for the attention. She's there to win. She shows up day in, day out, puts the work in. You can see it in Portland where she plays with the Thorns. This isn't about this for her. It's never been about her. It's always been about the team. And I think now more than ever, she deserves her moment. She's not going to ask for it, but we as a country need to give it to her. Um, So yeah, my favorite Canadian moment, women's soccer gold and it will forever be a Canadian heritage moment, in my opinion. I'm just watching the penalty shots again just to see Lavi's smile. Um, I'm gonna go because mine is kind of connected to the So I know there was like Penny and Andre de Grasse and all that, and that means a lot to me. Trust me, check my Twitter. You'll see it means a lot to me. Um, but something that meant a heck of a lot more to me and it wasn't a crazy moment or anything, but it was um, 
Rapino uh, congratulating Quinn for their gold medal. And the reason it's so great for me is because these two people are huge, huge, huge symbols of the LGBTQ uh, movement within the NWSL and within sports as a whole and kind of seeing them together. Um, I believe they play for the same team in the NWSL. So seeing uh, Megan Rapinoe congratulating Quinn was like really, and you know what, like Rapinoe was very salty about it and she had a right to be, uh, she was stating facts, but like, the thing is just seeing her, her overcome that and congratulating Quinn on it. Obviously it was just, I don't, I literally don't have words just because I could have chosen some great gold medal that Canada got, you know, but I did it because that meant more to me than any of that, because that's representation for my community. And like Quinn is the first openly transgender player at the Olympics and obviously Megan Rapinoe has been so big for the uh for the U.S. team for so long and within the NWSL so having people who are part of my community be at the Olympics and be on this huge stage is just really big for me yeah I love that. Um, I guess I'll go next. Um, I knew Casey was going to go with the soccer. Like, that was a given. So I made sure not to choose that one, even though that was pretty up there. Um, I decided to go with Andre DeGrasse and his gold medal. And just because of, like, sheer, like, amazement. I don't even know if that's a word. I don't know words today, but that's what I'm going to do because he is so awesome. Like, I was watching that race and... You know, in the last, like, I think it was, like, 40 meters of it is when he really, like, turned it on. Like, you you didn't think he was going to win that race. And the fact that he was just able to just, like, like, really, really sprint those last, that last part of the race and just, like, get that gold. I just, I just think back to when, like, Usain Bolt was smiling at him, like, in the previous Olympics. I feel like that's one of my favorite moments ever. And now he's just kind of, like, passed the torch on to him. And that's really awesome. Like, Andre DeGrasse is such a, like, a stand-up guy. Um, he's really, really good for this country. And that was, like, one of my favorite moments to watch. It was very exciting. Uh, the CBC building erupted with cheers and clapping because it was... So it was down, like, in the main floor. And then there's just, like, a whole, like, space with all the floors. And you could just hear everybody's reactions when he won gold. And I just think about how much he just, like, united everyone and united this country with that. And so, yeah, that, that's one of my top favorite uh, Canadian moments from the Olympics. Um, okay, so I guess I'll go. Um, my favorite was when Evan Dumphy won bronze for the walking. I thought it was so adorable. I just love that event. Like, I think it's so funny. And, like, it's just, like, they're, like, and it's so cute. And I don't, I feel like that's so offensive to, like, anyone who actually does the sport. So I hope, I hope that's not offensive. I literally love the sport. Um, But because he came in fourth at the 50-kilometer race walk in 2016. So coming in, like, third, like, and winning that bronze for him was, like, such a huge deal. And watching him come through, and after he, like, did the finish line he was like and I was like ah, 
that's the cutest thing ever. So yeah, <laughs> hopefully like our listeners don't go deaf after that. But um, yeah, that was my favorite moment. This is amazing. I missed the Olympics already. But guess what? You don't have to miss them for too much longer because the Paralympics are starting and they deserve just as much love, just as much coverage and just as much hype and attention and picking your favorite moments as the Olympics do. Because remember, they're para-Olympics, which means for parallel alongside and not paraplegic. So these are athletes just as much as the Olympians that were there in the first part. The Paralympics are going to take over Tokyo, and I'm so excited to follow along the coverage. I know Devin Haru from the CBC is going to be providing top-notch coverage on Twitter, so he's going to be my go-to for that. I hope everyone chooses to support them as well. And yeah, on that ending of the Olympic note, I will pass it off to Christina for some baseball. Okay. Um, so we have a, quite a bit to talk about, actually, in MLB this week. Uh, this will be the last baseball coverage, I guess, of the season, since we are pausing ballbusters for a little while. So I guess follow my Twitter for more Jays updates. But um, it's Christina FC without any vowels, except for the A. Um, anyway, so... The first thing I want to talk about was the Field of Dreams game that happened yesterday. So Thursday night, um, Field of Dreams is a Disney movie about baseball where they play in a cornfield, if you don't already know, and Kevin Costner like stars in it. And the MLB decided it would be fun to recreate that baseball field. So last night, the New York Yankees and the Chicago White Sox faced off in a cornfield in Dyersville. And the whole thing was like just the most dramatic thing ever. I, it was like 100% for views, but like everybody was feeding into it. I think baseball Twitter ate it up completely. Players were like emerging from the corn. Um, that was my favorite part personally. Kevin Costner did a pregame speech and that was like super dramatic as well. There was a sun setting in the back. Um, and I was just like, it was just surreal, the whole thing. And it was so camp and so funny and like, ironic, like just like the cheesiest, corniest thing ever. Um, but like everyone. Uh-huh, pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, I don't know. I don't know if you guys watched it, but it was really, it was like, it was just a lot. Um, but we loved it. We were here for it. I just gotta say the amount of like corny jokes yeah. that I saw last night was a bit much. It's a lot. It's a lot. We uh yeah, we did what we could with that. Um, but actually, okay, honestly, the ending of that game was something like out of a movie itself. Uh I think in the ninth inning, the white the Yankees were in the lead with an eight to seven lead, and then the White Sox like walked them right off at the very end and ended up winning the game. And that was kind of insane. Um, and people were like, oh, I think I saw a tweet and it was like, couldn't have written a better script. And I was like, yeah, I guess. Like the whole thing was pretty cool. Do we have any thoughts on that or? I just find it so funny. And this is like going to open a larger conversation that I want people's opinions on. But 
this was such an obvious like attention grab and like they're doing it to be able to market it and to be able to charge ridiculous prices for those tickets and mlb let me let me come at you from a marketing perspective okay maybe instead of coming up with gimmicky games you don't partner with an organization run racist and a homophobe and an islamophobe and a xenophobe yeah yeah cool yeah if anyone has no idea what i'm talking about there were talks for barstool to join the mlb as like a sponsor and all that and it's like okay clearly this is the MLB being like, we're going to reach a younger audience. And it's like, you, you do realize you're going to alienate 90% of the 20 somethings and the 10% you will attract will make your game. That is already kind of boring to most people, just toxic and gross and polarizing. So I would just divert your attention from hosting movie games and just find a different sponsor. Yeah, Ballbusters is not for Barstool under any circumstances. Okay, so now... mm -hmm. I was going to say, speaking of Barstool, like, I feel for all the... I'm so happy that college athletes can now benefit off their, like, name, image, and likeness. But the amount of them that are signing with Barstool is so concerning. Like, so... The amount of athletes I've clicked on, like, through mutual friends to see that they're a Barstool athlete... I'm like, just why? Like, why are they tar? And so many of them are women and young women. And it's like, why? Why are we still doing this? Why are we still allowing this? Yeah, it's very disappointing. Um, but I think, so we're going to talk about the Jays. We'll do a quick update there. And then we're going to go into something a little bit more serious. So the Toronto Blue Jays are at 544 at the moment with 62 wins and 52 losses. And we're still fighting for that second AL wildcard spot. We're four wins away from earning that spot. And we had the opportunity to gain that advantage when we played against the Los Angeles Angels the past few days. But unfortunately, we fell to show in his team last night, six to three and ended up splitting the series, which doesn't help us at all. And so I think a part of that loss last night was Barrios, who was the guy that I talked about last week, um, the new pickup, who I might have been a little bit too quick to praise. He only went 4.1 innings and gave up eight hits, six runs, and four walks while striking out three batters which is like pretty bad. Um, And meanwhile, Shohei, who is like the MVP candidate against our MVP candidate, Vladdy Guerrero Jr., Shohei pitched six innings of two-run ball and only gave up three hits and three walks while striking out six batters. And he batted too, because he does both, because he's freaking Babe Ruth. Um, He hit a double and a walk at the plate. At, in that same game. So Shohei is like on the rise for MVP candidate. He's like strengthening his campaign and Vladdy's struggling a little bit. Um, but I feel like he's going to get hot again soon. And when he does, hopefully he can make his comeback for that title. So now we're going to be talking about something a little bit more serious. Uh, 
this topic where we will be speaking on the topic of sexual assault. So if you um, feel like you're going to, that you're okay. So if you feel uncomfortable with this subject at any point, feel free to skip to the end of this episode and we will see you in season two. Um, But here we go. So Trevor Bauer has been on administrative leave, paid administrative leave, I should add, uh, since July 2nd. And it was recently extended until August 20th. So that'll be the fifth time that his admin leave has been extended. New documents have been released to the public. And back in June, Bauer's accuser provided evidence for uh, the temporary restraining order, which he filed against him. that showed her face a little bruised and battered. And um, Bauer's attorneys have recently said that the photos were edited or filtered in a manner to give a misleading or false impression of her injuries. There were also messages that came out of, of her and her legal team back and forth saying that she hoped that Bauer would offer her major cash and then make her sign an NDA in a settlement. Proceedings in the restraining order case will go to court on Monday in Los Angeles and could last up to several days. Um, So by then, I think we'll have some new news on the case. But for now, that was our update. Thoughts? How is no one raging that he's on fucking paid leave? That's not leave. That's like, like, that just feels like such a PR move where you're like, you don't want to do anything actually serious. You just don't want him like pictured with you, but you're still paying. If you're still paying him, you're telling everyone that like, no, we think like what he did is fine. And what he's being accused of is fine. We're just like putting him away from the team because it's bad for our public image and it's bad for like merch sales. Like, why are you paying him? First of all, baseball players get paid too much to begin with. Second of all, uh, feel like abusers shouldn't be paid millions of dollars even if like they're being told to he's literally being paid to sit at home in his mansion i hate it here i feel like a common theme today is how do we keep letting men get away with things um and this is a very very clear example of that i hate men that's all i have just hate men general dislike for them don't think we need them that's all so that wraps up our um baseball segment for this episode i'm gonna throw it back to casey who's gonna close this off all right so on that incredibly dark and depressing note Thanks for hanging out with us for all of season one. We will be back at the beginning of September when NFL season kicks off. We'll be in full baseball playoffs, if I'm not mistaken. Can you tell I don't pay attention to the baseball calendar? Um, We'll be gearing up for basketball. We'll be gearing up for hockey. We'll be gearing up for school. Um, And all, all that hellish fun that comes with it. Yes, Karina? So I am contractually not allowed to expand into this, but I do want to remind everyone that the WNBA season is resuming on Sunday, which is also my birthday, but that's separate from the point. Um, 
<laughs> and then it should be continuing on till like mid-September and then obviously we'll have playoffs and finals so if you're kind of stuck on the basketball side of things because the NBA doesn't start until like late October-ish the WNBA is on that's all I have to say go get league pass it's only 17 bucks do it now go okay a month no in total it's 17 bucks in total so like you get the entire season and everything all right, ladies, if your man's a basketball fan and he's like, there's no ball on, spend $17, buy him League Pass and make him watch it. Um, and then watch it with him. Pick your favorite team. Don't let Karina peer pressure you into picking the Liberty. But it's the Liberty, the Liberty are your favorite team. <laughs> okay, it's the Liberty. The Liberty are my first team. Um, my friend has been like, pressuring me to choose Dallas Wings. My boyfriend has been pressuring me to choose the Seattle Storm. Any team is good. Okay, that's any team is good. Let us know who you pick. We'll any make team is good. Pick the New York Liberty. <laughs> All right. On that note, we will see you in season two. Thank you for hanging out with us. Okay, thanks. Hey, Bye. 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 Bye.